asking those people who are still in the foyer, what makes something valuable to us? Like what makes being out in the foyer more valuable right now than being in here? Coffee, baked things. It's a struggle, it's a wrestle? What makes one baked item out there more valuable to you than the other? Chocolate, peanut butter. Chocolate, pe oh, chocolate, peanut butter, those should always be together. Yeah. Toasted, okay, toasted walnuts. Nice. What else? What makes something valuable to you? The person who made it. Okay. Okay. Good. If it's easily replaceable or not. Yeah. It's usefulness. Okay. Good. Ooh, almost fell off the stage. <laughs> One step to the left and we'll be done early. <laughs> supply and demand. Okay. You know that well in your business, real estate, supply and demand. Okay. What makes someone valuable to us? I'd like you to ponder that. Keep that question in the forefront of your mind as we go through God's word today. What makes someone valuable to us? Maybe it's the person you came with today. Maybe it's someone you have waiting for you at home. Maybe it's someone off on a trip. What makes someone valuable to us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you are present. We thank you that you are, uh, yeah, here in our midst. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is here and wants to reveal truth to us. And so we commit ourselves, Lord, as we, uh, as we open up Luke chapter 15, your word, ancient, written thousands of years ago, and yet you knew that we would be sitting here, standing here today, and looking at it. And so, Father, we trust that you would reveal your son Jesus to us in our time together. We ask in his name, amen. Luke chapter 15 is where we're at for the month of February. We're in a series called The Pursuit, God's Steadfast Love for Humanity. And uh, there's three parables in Luke, and we're spending four weeks on them. So let's uh, jump right into Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your cell phone, you can go on our app and click on Bible, and you can uh, find the New Living Test uh, Translation if you want to follow along. That's what I'm using and what we generally use from up front. Luke chapter 15, we'll start at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, I love that phrase, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story, and this is the story that uh, Pastor Brad unpacked for us last Sunday. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together all his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Second parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus tells another story. A man and his two sons, and Pastor Brad's going to unpack that story over the next two weeks because there's really two sons that are kind of lost in that story, and we'll get there over the next two weeks. But we'll stop and we'll focus in on those first two stories today. So who's the main focus of Luke chapter 15? When we read those parables, we're focusing in on shepherds, and we're focusing on the, in, in, uh, the second one, on the woman. The third one, we'll be focusing on the two sons. We've got the Pharisees. But who's really the main focus? Of Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 begins. We, we read those words. The Pharisees show up to where Jesus is holding session. And they accuse him. And they put him on the spotlight. All of Luke 15 focuses simply on Jesus' answer to the accusation that he is associating with and eating with sinners and enemies. Notorious people. Verse 1 says, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. And when they did, he would associate. That's the New Living Translation's interpretation. I actually think it's kind of a weak translation. Jesus wasn't just associating with these people. Everywhere else that Luke uses that word, he means receiving. He means welcoming with anticipation. He's talking about expectation, looking for. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about family. Everywhere else that Luke uses that word, he's referring to someone who is in a relationship with someone else and is waiting for them to show up. So Jesus, in my mind, isn't just associating with notorious sinners and with tax collectors who were enemies to the Jews. He's actually making real space for them. He's actually preparing a place for them because he's encouraging them not only to come and listen, but to stick around a bit. Have a meal together. Come and sit at my table. That's very different than just associating. We associate with people all the time. You associate with the person at the grocery store who's behind the till. You know, how's it going? How's your day? Good. That's associating. Jesus is doing much, much more. He has his eye out for them. Even those tax collectors, and Pastor Brad unpacked that for us last week. These are people who are in the proverbial uh, financial bed with the Romans. They are gaining profit. They are equating themselves with the enemy of the Israelites, of the Jews. 
Jesus is inviting those people to come over for dinner. Who does that? When's the last time any of us opened up our kitchen table, our dinner table, to an enemy? And not just happenstance, but we actually were eagerly looking forward to it. The Pharisees and the scribes accused Jesus of breaking Jewish law, demeaning the office of a religious prophet or teacher as they saw him. And the rest of the chapter is Jesus' explanation of what's actually happening. You see, the the Pharisees and the scribes look and say, Jesus, this is what you're doing. And he says, you know what? Let me explain to you what's really going on. I'm pursuing these people. First answer, verses 3 to 7, the parable that Pastor Brad unpacked for us last Sunday, the parable of the lost sheep. When Jesus eating, is eating with sinners, it's like a shepherd who goes out and he looks for that lost sheep and he celebrates with his friends. Second answer today is in verses 8 to 10, the parable of the lost coin. When Jesus eats with sinners, it's like a woman who finds a lost coin and then celebrates with her family and friends. The third answer will come in the next two weeks, verses 11 to 32, parable of the lost son. When Jesus eats with sinners, it's like the father whose son returns home. And spoiler alert, there will be a celebration. In fact, I encourage you to come next Sunday for a celebration, an epic celebration. All three parables have this one thing in common. Actually, a couple things in common. Being lost, being found, followed by a celebration. Verse 6, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse 9, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. Verse 24, this son of mine was dead. Now he's returned to life. He was lost. Now he was found. Quote, so the party began. Lost sheep. Found sheep. Party. Lost coin. Found coin. Party. Lost son. Found son. Party. There's no doubt as to what Jesus is trying to communicate. And that's exactly what parables, friends, are supposed to do. Parables are meant to be short, quick, wake up, proverbial slap in the face. You don't need a theology degree to understand what I'm trying to communicate. That's what a parable is is all about. You just need to be looking for truth. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons, that represents sinners. Found represents the repenting, the turning away from sinful ways to God. And then, of course, the celebration is the party that the God and the angels in heaven are having whenever repentance happens on earth. The parables are intended to be simple. They're intended for us to be able to read it and get it. And in that moment, like thousands of years ago, I am sure some of those Pharisees got it. And I'm sure that some of them didn't. When Jesus said, I'm eating with sinners because I'm the incarnation of God's love pursuing every person. I'm the shepherd seeking the sheep. I'm the woman seeking that lost coin. 
And this meal that we're eating together is a little bit, it's just a glimpse, a foretaste of what's happening in heaven. Every time that a lost sinner turns from his ways or her ways and turns toward God, there's this party, there's this celebration going on in heaven. Because the creator, the father, is so ecstatic that one of his has come home. So if these parables are so simple, what's the point? If, you did, if, if it was intended for you to be able to read this morning without me giving you 30 minutes of talk, then why am I giving you 30 minutes of talk? What's the point? What's the big deal? Is it that we're supposed to be like Jesus and go and do what he did? Is it so that we realize we shouldn't be like the Pharisees? and go and do what they didn't do? Is it just so that we will invite more people over for dinner? The deep desire, I think, of the parables is simply this. See Jesus. Opportunity to see switch gears 30,000 feet looking at these parables this is what's going on okay we get it now I'd like us to zoom in and hit ground level and I'd like you to pause in your spirits and I'd like you to settle let the distractions fall away let the let the voices of the Pharisees let the distractions of the weak all that stuff take a deep breath if you need simply say, Jesus, I want to see you. Would you show me who you are? Lord Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. It's not that we would know more. It's not that we would do better. Lord Jesus, that we would see you. Holy Spirit, would you come and do a work in our Reveal the Son. Reveal the Prince of Peace, the Lion and the Lamb, the King, the one who hung on the cross. We want to see Jesus. And as we look into these stories and we read them and talk about them, soak it in. This might be the only time this week where you have a few minutes to pause in all the busyness and craziness and just soak in who Jesus is. Learn who he is. Watch. Observe. Listen to the things he says. Listen to the things he doesn't say. Linger in the shadow as he talks to the Pharisees. Saturate your, your soul with his expressions and his mannerisms, his perspectives, how he describes 
the way to live on earth. Jesus is the incarnation of God's relentless pursuit of every human being. He is the perfect picture of God the Father. Pharisees couldn't get there. They could not pause long enough to get there. They refused to enter into relationship with Jesus. Why? They couldn't be in relationship with him because they couldn't be in relationship with the people that Jesus was in relationship with. They couldn't be around the lost. They couldn't stand to be with the outcast and the marginalized. And at the beginning of the parables in Luke 15, 1 and 2, Jesus strikes right at the heart. Verse 4, he says, if a man, he says to these Pharisees, if a man, he's not talking about just a man. He's saying, if you were a shepherd and one of your sheep, and these Pharisees would have been like, Whoa, I will never be a shepherd. Don't ever equate me with a shepherd. They didn't even hear the rest of the parable. Because they were so aghast that he would consider them to be like a shepherd. They couldn't pause long enough to get there. And yet Jesus says, put yourself in the shoes of this so-called so defiled person that we talked about last Sunday. You put yourself in the shoes. And then in verse 8, he says to the Pharisees, now imagine that you're a woman. Okay, the shepherds, one thing, the shepherds were un disrespected, unrespected, undefiled. The woman didn't even have status in their eyes. yourself in her cloak pick up her broom and look for the coin they don't even hear that how dare you equate me with a woman in fact today in many middle eastern cultures it's still considered extremely rude to equate a male audience with a female even in analogous terms The Pharisees and the scribes, friends, could not pause to hear what Jesus was saying, to enter into a relationship with him because they couldn't get to a relationship with these other people. Jesus, we want to see you. Show us who you are. Interestingly, while the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, couldn't get there, they couldn't put themselves in the shoes of the shepherd, they couldn't put themselves in the robe of the woman, God had no problem doing that. Jesus had no problem doing that. 
Friends, we tend to think of God in male terms, and that's primarily how he has described himself in scriptures with the masculine pronoun, but God is neither male nor female. God created woman and man equally in his image. God represents himself throughout scripture analogous to both of those. Jesus has no problem. Let me take you to Psalm 23 as an example. Not only probably most of us here know Psalm 23, but a lot of our society knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, God, shepherd, shepherds were male. Okay, that makes sense because God's male, right? No. He prepares a feast for me at a table in the presence of... Who prepared feasts in the ancient culture? Who prepares most of our feasts if you come over to my house? You will be thankful that it ain't this guy preparing your feast. In Middle Eastern culture, men never prepped the meal. They never set the table. Never. And David says, you prepare a feast for me. Oh, that's a woman. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. People understood what a household was at that time, similar to what we would understand it today. A man and a woman together, creating family, creating a household. God representing himself, male, female. Equally in scriptures, Jesus had no problem stepping into the shoes of a shepherd defiled, disrespected by putting on the cloak of a woman. Don't even look at her. That's what your Lord says. Jesus will want to see you. Show us who you are. Matthew 25, Jesus ends another section of parables with an incredible revelation. He's just finished talking about the parable of the ten virgins. And he says this of himself to the crowd. He says, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. He'll separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep at his right, the goats at his left. And then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Enter into my household, the eternal household. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink of water. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison. 
visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? We didn't. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. He did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You are doing it to me. The king says, I have no problem being right there in the prison with the prisoner. I have no problem being right there on the street corner with the one who needs food and drink. I'm right there. I have no problem hanging naked on a cross. makes someone, not something, someone valuable to us. Valuable enough that you would pursue them. Valuable enough that you would make a fool of yourself, guys. When you're 18, 19, 20, 40, 50. Valuable enough that you wouldn't just look for them. But you'd go after them. You'd anticipate where they might be. That you would risk giving them access to your home. To the safest place that you probably have, which is the hub of the home, the kitchen, the table. Where you try to gather as a family. Valuable enough that you just can't wait. Not even if that person's an enemy. To approach you. Why? So you can spit in their face, so you can tell them that they're wrong, so you can keep revenge on them? No, so you can invite them in and say, what? Come, we're having chicken tonight. Why don't you come? Let's talk. A bully? Radical Muslim? Convicted criminal? Creditor wanting repayment? It's long overdue prostitute Luke 15 is about the love of God coming into the cities and suburbs of our world to find lost brothers and sisters sons and daughters it's about the person of Jesus Christ and the meaning of his mission in the world then and today right here in Langley in Surrey in Maple Ridge keep going it's about the brokenness that every single one of us who drives down 64th today on our way home, will pass at the intersection of 64th and 200. It's about the person you give a toonie to, knowing full well that you are probably being ripped off, and yet believing in your heart that this is the heart of Jesus. That this is the person that Jesus is eagerly awaiting and expecting. This is the person that Jesus loves and prizes and is pursuing to be in a relationship with. Why? Because he values them as his creation, his prized possession, the one who carries a stamp of his image 
in their soul. That's who Jesus values. So much so that he'd come to our world to reveal himself, to show us who he is. So much so that he would repeatedly stand with these Pharisees and take their best shots. So much so that he would let them hang him on a cross. So much so that that cross would never defeat him. Luke's an amazing author. Luke writes stories and parables about people who are neglected, forgotten, ignored, confused, lost, hurting, suffering. He writes about widows and beggars and rebellious sons with, a, with an eye that reflects the fact that Luke saw Jesus when he was in his midst. He paused long enough in Jesus' presence to say, who he is. That's why he does what he does. Luke learned why people are valuable. No matter what their state in life is, Luke saw and was convinced that people are valuable to Jesus. And all three parables in Luke chapter 15 are about relationship and restoration. God's relentless pursuit of humanity, wanting every single person to be in relationship with him for eternity. His creation, male and female, in his image. Me. You. A criminal. A homeless person on the corner. Everyone is valuable. Every single person you have ever met in your life and every single person you will ever meet from this moment forward is as valuable to God as you are this morning. Every single one of us. Why? Why is it? Because Jesus created and stamped his image. As clouded and as distorted and as obscured as that may be for those of us with human eyes to see at times, it's there. And Jesus says, everyone is worth pursuing. Because there's joy in heaven. The Father throws a party, a celebration. Every single time one of us sinners repents. Every single time. He did it for me. He did it for Karen. He did it for Dave. A party in your name. Celebrate. He's not done celebrating. Every single person is worth another celebration. I'm going to call the worship team to come forward. Megan and the team are going to lead us in some singing. We're going to have members of our prayer team. Allie, Curtis, Dale, Sylvia will be in the back. You may be here today and you may be saying, oh, I need Jesus to show me who he is. These people will pray with you in confidence. You may have someone in your life, a loved one who's lost, and you say, will you pray with me? Would you pray that Jesus would 
show himself to these people. He's pursuing them. Let's pray together and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, each one of us comes this morning with a deep desire to see that which you placed in us when you created us to find peace and rest in your presence thank you that you've pursued and you continue to pursue you are a pursuing God continue to show yourself to us continue to help us see We stand together as God's people and we lift up our hands and praise. Megan's going to lead us and I invite you to stand with us. I invite you to take advantage of the people in the back praying. Utilize that time of ministry 